I invite you to turn your Bibles to uh, James chapter 3. Uh, today's message is, uh, is on wisdom. Jesus once said, uh, to enter the kingdom of heaven, you've got to become like a child, like have that childlike faith. And, and I was thinking, well, we got wisdom. What, what would kids say? And I came across this um, advice. It was wisdom from uh, third graders. A teacher had asked her students, hey, would you give me something wise that you've uh, come to understand in your life? So, uh, Here's some wisdom. Uh, when your dad is mad and asks you, do I look stupid? Don't answer him. This is third graders, right? Keep that in mind. Never tell your mom her diet's not working. Never hold a dust buster and a cat at the same time. Never trust a dog to watch your food. <laughs> if you want a kitten, start out by asking for a horse. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> that is awesome. Felt markers are not good to use as lipstick. Oh, no, it's bad. Don't pick on your sister when she's holding the baseball bat. <laughs> and never try to baptize a cat. There's some uh, wisdom from third graders. Um, we've got a passage about wisdom. James writes this, James chapter 3, verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. If you're new with us today, uh, we're in this uh, book of James. It's towards the end of a Bible. If you have one of these paper ones, if you had a Bible app, just flip to it, type James, it'll get you there. Um, but we've been going through this, and, and it's one, a couple things you need to know about what's going on is James wrote this letter to Christians that were spread out over a whole region. And, and you have to understand the church was really young, like we're talking maybe 15, 20 years, 30 years old. I mean, we're 2,000 years right now, so we've got all this history. The church at that time didn't have the Bible app, let alone a, a Bible. It was all shared through letters, and so they would read these letters. They'd go to the synagogue, and they would hear the Word of God read there. And what was happening in the church is there was, there was division, and there was discrimination, and there was favoritism and partiality being shown. Because what happened is these people came out of the culture they were in and they brought all that stuff with them into the church, all the baggage. And, and they were starting to now act like that in the church, act like the world in the church. And so they're treating people horribly, all based on how much money you had or what kind of job you had or what kind of nationality or culture you came from or region you came from or your marriage status or slave or servant or free they were having power struggles too. Some wanted that position of, well, I'm the wise one and everybody listened to me and it was ugly. And, and that's what's normal in the world. And James is writing saying, no, no, guys, you've got to understand something. That, that's normal out there, but that's, 
That's not how the church does church. And so he's finally coming and he's actually now going after those who are the ones teaching and the ones basically encouraging this kind of a culture to be in the church. And he's saying to them, who is wise and understanding among you? And, and imagine this letter is being written, or not written, read out loud to the whole group of that local church. And they all know who wants to be wise and who wants to be understanding and wants the position versus those who are wise and already understand. And, and, and they know what's going on. And as soon as he says that, you have these looks from people going, oh yeah, that's for him or that's her. Like, I know who that is. And the other person, and the person who thinks they are, the person who is, is going, okay, this is for me. And, and there's this whole dynamic as this is getting read out loud. And James says this. He never says anybody by name. He just says, look, and, look whoever claims this title of being wise and understanding, heads up. I'm talking to you right now. By his good conduct, he says, let him show his works and the meekness of wisdom. And what he's doing is he's saying, hey, look, we are going to, in these next few moments, figure out who really is wise and understanding, and we're going to figure it out by how you live and the wisdom you teach and the understanding you display. And he goes on, he says, we're going to see this by the meekness of wisdom, the works that come out in meekness of wisdom. And meekness, that's just kind of a sad start to this whole thing. Who wants to be meek? I mean, in that culture, meekness was, well, you just didn't want to do that. You didn't go there, right? And meekness is weakness. And in that culture and in our culture, it's the same thing. You're, you're just a glorified doormat if you're weak, or not weak, if you're meek. You get run over. And a lot of people look at Christians, and, and frankly, that's what they think of Christians. They're just doormats. And there's a lot of Christians who think this about themselves, Christians, and, and, and bail on the whole thing and say, ah, forget that. I'm going to go fight fire with fire. And the funny thing is Jesus called himself meek. He said, take my yoke upon you, this is in Matthew, and learn from me. I am gentle or meek and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus also said, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. What? Uh, the meek are the ones getting trampled on, run over. Like, if you don't speak up, and if you don't fight and take your stand, get out of the way, or you're going to get crushed. That, that's the meek, right? And Jesus says, ah, blessed are the meek. They're going to they're gonna get the whole thing. He flips the tables, turns it all upside down. Meek literally means strength under control. Strength under control, which is probably one of the biggest understatements of all eternity when you think of Christ becoming a man. Strength under control. I mean, he could have crushed everybody. 
insulted, gone. But no, he was meek. Pushed around, meek. But he could have just kicked him to Pluto, literally. I mean, you talk about strength under control. Persecuted, beaten, crucified. That's meekness, strength under control. There was one time when Jesus kind of pulled back and showed, showed the disciples just the level of strength and power he had. It was when he was walking across the, the, the Sea of Galilee, the storm comes up, and he gets in the boat, and he just tells the boat, you know, tells the sea to stop. Another time he's in the boat, and, and storm's coming, and he just, they wake him up, and he just calms the seas, and both times they're freaking out. Like, they just saw the strength of God, and they're like, who is this, and should we even be in the boat with this guy? And that was just a glimpse. Meekness. He says the fruit of someone who comes or claims this wisdom and understanding, it should flow out of this meekness, this strength under control. And then he goes and, and he, has two, he has two buts in this passage. And all I could think of was, as I'm saying this, I mean, that's just, there are, there's two, and I'm thinking junior high, I'm sorry, that, but there is. Verse 14, verse 17, but if, and then verse 17, but the, so there's, there's two big red signs here going, hey, wait a minute. Anybody who's wise in understanding, you've got to understand one thing, but... If you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. He's saying, but what I'm seeing here is what's normal and what's happening in this world. If you have bitter jealousy, if you have selfish ambition, which is what is of this world, don't, don't come across, don't come back to us saying, oh, no, it's all good. Oh, oh, oh no, no, no. He's saying, no, let's get real about this. And so he says, bitter jealousy, and we know what jealousy is. I mean, that's when somebody tries to take what is ours, whether that is a friendship, whether that is a relationship. Those are typically the things that we get jealous of. I remember in college, it was me and another guy fighting over a girl. He got the girl. I was so jealous. Uh, you know, you feel those things. Are you jealous of position that you have, uh, uh, a thing that you own, and somebody comes and takes it? You, you, it's yours. It's mine. Bitter jealousy. Greatest example in cinema history is Gollum, right? From the Lord of the Rings. My precious. Right? Gollum was jealous, bitter jealousy. That's a great picture of what it does to somebody, literally no longer living, even though he's alive. The bitter part comes when stuff is taken away and you never deal with it or something's removed from your life and you didn't want it to and you lost it and it goes so deep inside of us and we get so angry, we get so whatever and it's just bitter so that anytime anything else is threatened, all we have is this bitter jealousy and we will go to war 
over that which we think is ours and should never be shared with anybody else. The other side of it, he says, is a selfish ambition. And I came across a definition of this. I thought, that is totally it. It's, it's four words. Me, 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 me. That's selfishness. We know what that is. A person that is consumed only with their interest in life and consequently, on the other hand, lacks any care for anybody else and their life. And you wed that with ambition and you have selfish ambition. Ambition in and of itself, we get the word zeal from that. So it's not a bad word. It's just when it gets tied to the wrong things, it goes south. Selfish ambition is really bad. It takes all this drive and life and just goes for me, 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 me. All these gifts, all of this strength, all our capacity is for me and I'm going to build me and it's about me. He says, but if this is happening in the church, James is saying, we have problems because this kind of wisdom is messed up. He says, this wisdom is not the wisdom that comes down from above in verse 15, but it is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. Earthly is of this cursed world. Unspiritual, that, that's us. That's like our nature, our fallen nature, dreamed up in there. It's demonic, which is pure evil. And warn, James warns him, look, don't boast if you've got this wisdom. Quit pretending this is good. Quit lying like this is somehow redeemable. It's not redeemable. And, he's, and what's scary is the church is elevating people who think like this, whose wisdom is like this, of the world. And he says, where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. Meaning the crop, the harvest that comes from someone who has this kind of wisdom, this earthly, unspiritual, demonic wisdom, the crop is disorder in every vile practice. There's just no other, there's no other harvest you've got in front of you but that. That's all it's going to produce. It makes sense in a twisted kind of way. You go down this road it is going to produce fruit because that's all it can. I, I remember a story that happened uh, at a church that I know. Um, the pastor, uh, the church grew uh, under this guy. His leadership, he was there, I think, 15, 20 years, and uh, church was up about 900 people or something like that. But uh, I, I watched over probably five or six years, staff come and then staff leave, and there's fights. And I never felt comfortable around this guy. I always just felt like, what, what's your deal? Always wanted to get up and talk and, 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 and hear himself, really, is what he wanted to do. And it's just like, ugh. And then one day came, and, and one of the pastors on staff made a stand because this guy really was. I mean, I didn't know him. I could just see from afar. as like something's off. But this guy, you, you want to talk about selfish ambition and, and bitter jealousy. That was this guy. And he chewed up and spit out staff and church people. And, and so finally, one day, one staff member said, no more. And he made a stand, and enough uh, godly leaders around him had all seen it, and the staff was 100% unanimous with this one staff member. And uh, they ended up having this big church split because this senior pastor would not humble himself. 
he fought it tooth and nail, and they ended up having this big meeting and trying to see where they could keep it together, and it just exploded in this big fight. Church. The senior pastor goes on to plant a church, start another church, same city. Uh, several months later, it was about 600 people when they had their first Sunday. I mean, he had a following, phenomenal communicator. Fast forward about four years later, and that church plant ended up firing the senior pastor for all the things that the first church, the mother church, had said were going on, and they realized we really made a mistake. The damage had been done. All kinds of people hurt. All kinds of people. You want to talk about the, the fruit and the harvest of that when, when you look at all what he says here of disorder. I mean, it was just pure chaos. All this, the vile stuff, the shouting, the anger, the rage. You're just like, this is the church? And, and people were saying, well, we know that's normal in the world, but what is that doing here? And why is that in the church? And it's just like James is saying, it's like, this, this can't be in the church because this is what it produces. He says, but wait a minute, but wait a minute. There's another kind of wisdom. Wisdom from above. It's first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and, and sincere. If you read through James, uh, wisdom is kind of a big thing to James. It talks about it in chapter 1. It actually encourages us to ask for wisdom. But if you, if you look through James, you start studying the Bible about James, and, or about wisdom, rather, and uh, we talked about this, so I'm not going to go into it as deeply as we did uh, back in chapter 1, but wisdom is really defined as God's understanding of how we should live. And Solomon says the beginning of wisdom, where you start with wisdom, is the fear of the Lord in Proverbs. That's where wisdom starts, is the fear of the Lord. And it isn't the freak out fear, but it's the fear uh, born out of reverence, of understanding who God is and how big he is and holy he is and righteous he is and uh, eternal, omnipresent, all-knowing, all-powerful, right? All those things. And, and you develop this healthy fear that says, he is God and I am not. I'm, I'm the creature. And, and this wisdom is connected to God. In 1 Corinthians, it talks about Christ being literally the embodiment of, of God's wisdom. Go on in Ephesians, it talks about the Holy Spirit being called the spirit of wisdom. And, and what happens is he comes and resides in us and the wisdom of God is in us. We don't produce it, it's just in us by way of his presence. The Bible is described as the word of God that makes us wise. And the implications is, if there is anything wise out there, it has come from God. But if anything is not wise, obviously it's not from God. And the best place to start searching for wisdom is right here. God's word. It starts here. And he goes on to list these eight qualities, and then we'll just kind of go through them briefly here, pure. God's wisdom is pure. Moral purity, thinking pure, feeling pure, free of moral stain. Jesus once said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. 
Second word he uses is peaceable. Jesus once said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Peace. That's the wisdom of God. No conflict, no war, no fighting. Gentle. The word is actually tied to justice and to a judge or to a leader who didn't abuse their power but was very calm and careful when they spoke, knowing that what they would say could impact the lives of people. So they're very, as it were, gentle. They knew the power they had and they didn't abuse it and didn't go beyond its scope. Open to reason. And I love this because the reality is so often we have poor thinking or false conclusions, but it doesn't say perfect thinking. It says open to reason. The wisdom of God, people who are filled with the wisdom of God are open to reason, meaning we can be wrong. And, and rather than double down on when we're wrong and keep going, we're able to be reasoned with. Merciful. Jesus said, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Mercy is a big word in James. James is all over giving mercy. Preached a whole message on mercy a couple weeks ago. Mercy is something where I like this idea that, especially when you're talking about in the middle of conflict and you're in the middle of all this stuff going on and jealousy and ambition, selfish ambition, mercy is this thing that does not give people what they deserve. How many of us stay up at night thinking about what people deserve sometimes? I'll tell them what they deserve. I'll give them what they deserve. I'll be the Lord's hand in their life. (laughs) Full of mercy. I'm going to give you what you don't deserve. Yeah, that's the spirit. (laughs) Good fruits. Good fruits, it has to work itself out. This wisdom works itself out. There's a harvest to it. It produces good things. It must change not only us, but the life around us. Impartial, and this is hard. Wisdom is impartial. It's it's lady wisdom with the blindfold on, meaning it's not looking at appearances, which was really significant because that's all the church was doing was looking at appearances, and they didn't look this way, and they didn't look that way, and they weren't doing this. It is all appearances, and, and he's saying, no, impartial. Able to just look at something and recognize the complexity of it, the value of someone. No biased Wouldn't that be something to turn on the news? And I don't know which news you watch, but I know whatever news you're watching, it's biased. Wouldn't it be amazing to turn on the news and actually have impartial news? I think the closest we ever got was the McLaughlin group on public TV. It was like Friday night wrestling for news because he would bring in people from both sides and and you would see a more civil Discussion. They actually like enjoyed each other's presence anymore. Sorry, I'm off on politics. Sorry about that. I'm back on the news. 
It wasn't in there. Uh, Sincere. Godly wisdom is sincere. It's not hypocritical. When somebody says yes, guess what? It's yes. Their yes is yes. Their no is no. You just know. Like when they say they're going to do something, when they say something, they mean it. Sincere. James goes through all this list. And what's interesting is he says, this is the wisdom from above. And when a Christian understands, Christian, someone who understands true wisdom, and we're going to assume that, not just somebody who says they're a Christian, but someone as a Christian who understands true wisdom, that it, it, it really is connected to God and comes with a connection with God, it changes everything because suddenly what is normal in this world becomes abnormal and unacceptable, no matter whether the world keeps going down that road that they call normal. I mean, if God is really who God is, he is who he says he is, and his promises are the, you know, the promises he gives us are the ones he's going to follow through on, and, and it leads us and guides us. And even though we sing this song, we might walk through the flames and we might suffer, we have these passages that say that nothing can separate us from the love of God, that the wisdom from heaven is in us, nothing's going to take God down. All his promises are yes in Christ. If he really is all of that, then what he says about us then is just as real, that we're his sons, we're his daughters, we're forgiven, we're secure, we're clean, we're free, that being loved by him, held by him, owned by him is the highest thing in life. And if all that is true, then it stands to reason that if we are selfishly ambitious, if we are bitterly jealous, it is more a statement about our understanding of God. That he must not be that great. He must not really mean those things about us. He must be some kind of a cheap God who really can't afford to meet all our needs. It's a statement about our faith. We've really got to do this on our own, and he's just watching us, which means we've got to fight, and we've got to scrap, and we've got to hold, and we can't let go. But, James says, but if we have this wisdom from above, what do we have to lose? I mean, really, what do you and I have to lose? You have those moments of sanity and, and rational thought where all this kind of comes crashing down. You're like, I really don't have anything to lose. So why do I get so upset about everything? Why am I so jealous about that? Why, why am I so driven to get this? And Jesus says, whoever wants to gain his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will gain it. And God's wisdom frees us up to be all these things. And, and, and what starts to happen is our life just starts to naturally produce these things of purity and peace and gentleness and reason and full of mercy and good fruits and impartial and sincerity and and James concludes, a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. 
comes back to this peace again. It's a big deal. Peace, 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 peace. Why? Because there's war, 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 war happening in the church. Church is full of conflict. And, and James is saying, look, the wisdom of God, if, if someone really understands this, they're, they're peaceable, they're peacemakers, and, and the seed they plant is peace. And, and, and the harvest, though, is righteousness. It flourishes in an environment of peace. The irony about peacemakers, which is interesting because Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, right? I mean, there's, there's this blessing that comes from being this. There's a call on us to be peacemakers, knowing what we know about God and his wisdom. But the irony is, those who make peace, <laughs> their lives are often filled with conflict because he's sending us into conflict to make peace. I remember I was in conflict and I had two guys in the church that came up who stepped in the middle of conflict and said, it's time to make peace. Uh, I remember Gordon Meyer talking about going into church conflicts and just telling stories. He says, Scott, you wouldn't believe. Gordon Meyer is a former district superintendent uh, of our district, about 80, 85 churches, and churches get in conflict sometimes, and he would go in. He says, you just wouldn't believe how Christians act in the middle of these things. He says, the screaming and the yelling that goes on in these meetings. He says, it's just not normal. Sadly, it's normal in this world, but it shouldn't be normal in the church. Like, this is so wrong. I remember talking, I was down sitting at the table with a guy who was part of Peacemakers, which is a ministry that goes around to churches in the U.S., and they're trained to help churches make peace. And we, we were just talking. I'm like, what, how, why would you ever, you're nuts. I mean, I, he just told a couple stories. I just like, you're crazy. Like, how in the world do you do that? And he's wired for it. He's like, ah, oh, that stuff doesn't bother me. He says, I'm, I'm good with that. That's, he says, that's just kind of the way I'm wired is to get in the middle of it and help people figure it out. Well, God bless you. You just go do that. I can't do that. And yet, I say that, and the call on me and the call on you are to be people of peace and to step into conflicts and to say, in the name of Christ, what is going on? Right? I mean, that's what we do. When the church, we sit across from people and we go, in the name of Jesus, what are you doing? This can't be. How are you treating each other this way? I love it when peace comes. Real peace. When, when, when people sit, parties sit across from each other and they, they say, you have hurt me in deep ways. You hurt me, like hurt. And the other person's over here saying, I'm so sorry. 
will you forgive me, and it's genuine, and then they say, you hurt me, and, and they forgive, and it's amazing, and in those moments, you know what happens? The peace of God comes, and what you want to do is you want to build a tent, a little home here, and say, we're not leaving. We're just going to hang out because the peace of Jesus is here, and it's so, oh. I can imagine a whole eternity just hanging out with that feeling. Oh, so good. I can see why the guys, when Jesus, you know, on the Mount, uh, Transfiguration, Jesus actually was revealed in his glory and he got all shiny and they wanted to build a little place there and just hang out forever. You do. When God's presence comes and that peace comes, you're like, let's just set up shop here. We'll order in dominoes the rest of our lives and not move from here. You know, the mantle of wisdom, the calling to wisdom is on each of us. It's on you, it's on me. When it shows up and we move through things like this and we see reconciliation and we see peace come, you know what this world says? That's not normal. That is not normal. Where did you get that? How did you get that? That's impossible. What do you mean forgive? What do you mean reconcile? What, you like really did that? You, you, yeah. What do you mean you let go? What do you mean you stepped down to make way for somebody else? That, that's not normal. What do you mean you actually celebrated somebody who was more gifted than you in something? What? That's not normal. Where do you get that? That's God. You know, there's a moment in the Grammys where Adele, did you guys see that or hear about it? Won a trophy, won a Grammy. It was a big fight between her and who, who was the other gal? Um, Beyonce, thank you. Um, she broke the trophy in half and gave half of it to Beyonce. That's not normal. And that's what the church is supposed to be like. That wisdom we saw in there, that was God's wisdom. You can say that. God's wisdom's out there. And when you see it, you go, that, that's a God wisdom kind of sighting thing. That's not normal. Who shares? Who breaks their trophy and says, you deserve half of this? We both know it. We both should have tied. Great song. The other piece of this is you're part of a church family. And, and I just want to say this in real closing. We're real big on this whole meekness and humility thing at our church. And, and when it comes to influence, we go real slow because you don't discern this stuff real quick. It takes years. You need to see stuff happen. You need to see conflicts happen. You need to see them get roughed up and you get roughed up and see how we all work in the middle of all of us getting roughed up because it's going to happen. We're all bringing our junk in. And then let's see if it plays out. And so some of you, if you are newer to our church and you wonder why are we slow, 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 we are slow, slow <laughs> because it is so dangerous to put people in positions of influence if they are not filled with the wisdom of God. It brings 
disorder, and all kinds of vile practices. And there is a responsibility on you to pray and to help this church make sure that we protect positions of influence here. It's on you just as much as it's on the leadership that we make sure the men and women who get into influence lead in meekness of humility. It's so critical, that wisdom from the Lord. And when it happens, the righteousness that comes, the harvest, you just sit back and you go, whoa, this isn't normal. It's of God. Let me pray.